Here comes O'Bannon, in and out, down the lane. And the foul. Rebounded inside, O'Bannon, who banks it in. Here's O'Bannon, he's been sensational. To the bucket! O'Bannon, the senior, the last time he will ever play on this court at Freedom Hall, and he flat can't miss. Welcome in, guys. This is the Player's Perspective Uncensored with Larry O'Bannon. Appreciate you guys for tuning in. Got a spectacular guest coming on the podcast today. He is legendary. He's an NCAA champ. He's an NBA draft pick. And he's one of the best ball players to ever put on a Louisville Cardinal uniform. Talking about Peyton Siva, starting point guard for the 2013 National Championship team. And yes, I still recognize the National Championship banner at my university. So we are the 2013 National Champs, regardless of whatever the NCAA says. But looking forward to having him on today's episode and just talking to us about his career at the University of Louisville while he was making a run towards that National Championship and also talk about his professional career after leaving the University of Louisville. So really looking forward to talking to him, and it's a pleasure to have him on the podcast with us today. Now, our bourbon selection of the day for this episode is Larceny Bourbon. That's what we'll be talking about. That's what we'll be reviewing. Now, it's produced and distilled by the Heaven Hill brand comes in at 92 proof or 46% alcohol volume. Now it's a weeded bourbon and it was introduced to the market in September of 2012 as a continuation of the long lineage of weeded bourbons from the old Fitzgerald franchise. Now it's been a few of you guys that have recommended this to me via my social media page. So I'm gonna give it a shot. Now I'm about to pop the top on this larceny and get my glass ready. So let you guys know about it in a few, but in the meantime, let's go ahead and bring Peyton into the podcast. Peyton Siva, man, welcome to the podcast, brother. Hey, hello. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, no, no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Now, do you drink bourbon by any chance? Nah, man. Never drank before. Never drank before. Okay. Smart man. Smart man. So let's, let's jump right into the podcast, man, and I'll ask you this. Being from Seattle, man, it's a lot of guys that come out of there. But when you were younger, who was somebody that you looked up to or that you watched growing up that inspired you or that you may have wanted to imitate or just motivated you to be the best basketball player that you could be? Man, it's tough. You know, I had a lot of guys, especially being from Seattle, who I kind of looked up to and watched. You know, we had guys like T. Will, who obviously went to Louisville and guys like Marcus Williams who was playing with him. And I had guys like Aaron Brooks who went to my school. So we had a lot of Hoopers, Jason Terry, you know, Jamal. So I had a lot of those guys kind of look up to, try to emulate my game out there, try to model my game out there. And, uh, you know, I looked up to them and saw the success they had in basketball and wanted to be just like them. Right. Now, Seattle's roughly 3,000 miles away from Louisville, Kentucky. What made you choose Louisville? Because I know a lot of guys in the inner city of Seattle, man, it's, it's tough for them to get away from UW, University of Washington. How did the University of Louisville steal you away from University of Washington? Well, it's funny because, um, you know, obviously UW, I wanted to go there. But, um, you know, I had a, a good friend who was in the same class as me, Abdul Gaddy. You know, he was we were kind of, you know, one, two in the state of Washington at the point guard position. Uh, he was number two in the nation at, at the time. He had committed to Arizona, and I was looking at Arizona first. And uh, so I was like, all right, I'm across Arizona on my list. 
you know, and then I was like, all right, you know, look at UW and Louisville. Uh, I had the Louisville connection because T-Will went there and got a chance to really, you know, first time watching them in an NCAA tournament, you know, watching Sosa against 6 a.m. and, you know, just seeing the, the press and seeing how fun it looked going there. You know, they were always playing fast, getting in transition and scoring. T-Will was always dunking. So that was definitely enticing to me you know, seeing those highlights and everything. And, uh, and I was looking between them and UW. And then before it came down to my decision, he had Abdul had decommitted from uh, Arizona, then committed to UW. And so I was like, well, UW has like five point guards at the time. Isaiah Thomas was there. Uh, Benoit Overton, who was on my high school team, he was there. And then uh, he committed there. So I was like, all right, well, you know, that's too many guys for me to go. You know, I like Louisville. They're a big-time school. Argentina's a big-time coach. And uh, the style of play looks fun. But here's a funny story. Uh, I didn't want to go to college because I hated playing defense. Uh, you know, UCLA. <laughs> like, I didn't want to go to a school that played, like, a, that was known for, like, their defense. And, like, you know, in the West Coast, you know, you always hear about UCLA. And, like, I was like, man, no way I would ever go there. You know, they just – all they want to preach is defense, defense, defense. Right. And, you know, I – and looking at Louisville, you know, watching them on TV, you don't really see the, the defensive work that goes in behind it. You just kind of see the highlights of the fast break, all oh, they're getting steals, they're getting out and running. It's, you know, very high tempo. And I was like, oh, man, that looks fun. They're just out there running running and gunning. Yeah, as you know, it's, it's a lot more defense that goes into it. So. Yes, sir. <laughs> Found out the hard yes, when sir. I got to school. But, um, you know, I feel like I made the right decision, and uh, I loved it. Now, talk about your early years, especially being a freshman and a sophomore. You really, me and you had talked before, and you talked about how much you really followed Edgar Sosa around and really learned from him and how you really learned from Preston Knowles and how he was one of the best leaders that you had been around. Kind of elaborate on the experiences and the knowledge that you gained from those two guys early on in your career at Louisville. Man, so <laughs> with my freshman year, I'm sure Edgar can tell you, I was probably like a little – you know, like a little lost puppy dog, you know, trying to follow their owner around, trying to mimic her, like a little brother just trying to do everything the big brother do. You know, with Sos, I watched him once since I was in high school. Loved the style that he played, you know, tough New York guard who could score, really good handles, really good, uh, you know, finishing at the rim. And so I literally try to follow Agra everywhere. I mean, that guy, his work ethic is up there with anybody best in the world and you know i try to like he was going to the gym i was going to the gym he was taking nap i was taking nap i would go sit in his living room and play video games just waiting for him to leave so i'm going with him right um, and you know finding me like that knowing type and you know and a lot of people it's weird because you know a lot of people kind of made it a, a big story you know i was coming in as a highly talented freshman um behind souls and you know he was the starting point guard and, and I didn't come in thinking like, all right, I'm going to, you know, just kick his ass or, you know, get, you know, try to take his spot right away. I came in, you know, eager to learn. And I didn't, if it was to start, so be it. But my intentions was to come in and learn. I knew it was going to be some rough patches, especially my freshman year coming to college. You know, so I took it as that. And I think at the beginning, Sosa and I had like some, like, butted heads a little bit because of that. But he knew after a while, it was like, you know, I was, I was there to learn, man. I was there. I didn't have, like, any ego in my heart to try to take away anything from him. But, you know, he was already an established player. I just wanted to come in and learn from him, and I wasn't in any rush to try to 
you know, go to the NBA or, you know, go professional, anything. And, you know, I think that kind of helped our relationship out later on. And then with Preston, ever since my freshman year, man, he kind of took me under his wing also. It was just, he was a guy you never heard of, but boy, he was a dog in practice. And he definitely, I don't want to say, I mean, he by far earned my respect, but like he kind of takes your respect um, by seeing his work ethic on the court and the way he pushes himself on defense, the way he can make shots, um, the way he can just play basketball. You know, you really realize, you know, you might be good in high school, but I mean, I mean you get to that college level, it's a whole different monster. And he, from day one, he, he put his foot on my neck and uh, it just helped me get better every day. And, you know, I love pressure for that. And pressing, you know, mostly off the court, man, just the talks that we had just about, you know, how to lead the team, how to be vocal and pressing don't take no shit from anybody. So, you know, he just was kind of my guy. Um, me and Rakeem always just came buckles, just always hung around him and Reggie Delk and, you know, PK was, you know, always that big brother to me, like even to this day, I always hit him up. We always had similar interests and we always just laugh, joke about movies, video games, everything. And, um, you know, those two really played a big, big part of my, not only my career, but just my life period. Yeah. PK is a great dude, man. And tough nose as they come. You're talking about somebody that's a dog and, you know, if you're in the foxhole, you want somebody to battle with you, that's who you want in the foxhole with you, man. So let's move on to your junior year. Now you're upperclassman. It's you, it's Russ Smith, you got Cal Kirk, you got Chris Smith. You guys finished sixth in the Big East, but you enter the Big East mm -hmm. tournament and you go on a run and you win the Big East tournament. You're named MVP. Do you guys make a run in the NCAA tournament? You make it to the Final Four. What went on with you guys that year that you really kind of turned the corner once the end of the year kind of came around? I think a lot came together for us. I think guys got healthy, myself in particular. I was dealing with injuries that whole year, kind of been bit by the injury bug with concussions and ankle problems. But I think everybody got healthy, and we finally kind of just found our you know niche. Everybody started clicking. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember, but – Coach P kind of moved Russ over to the two, stopped playing him at the one so much. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like that benefited Russ tremendously, you know, especially at that point of his career. Russ is, you know, a scorer. You know, he wasn't in a, a pure point guard in that sense. And at that time, Coach P wasn't as lenient as he got to be. You know, right. especially with I, I know guards. that. I mean, I, you know – You've seen it. You played for him. You know, he can kind of, with the point guard and shooting guard, he kind of, you know, hold a tight rein. But I think it just got to a point where he's like, you know, whatever. We have to try something new. And, uh, you know, Russ, uh, amazing player, but he just wasn't that point guard for Coach Patino. And Russ knew. Russ told him, actually, he was like, hey, Coach, can you just move him to the, the two spot? I mean, he just plays plays better at that and we kind of fed off each other with that uh, I think that helped us both out um, because he can take risks I can take risks and we knew we had a team that can help back us up and he knew that I'm going to cover for him and I knew that he was going to cover for me and we kind of meshed really well especially my year and year and we just took off from there man I think our style of play really matched up well with the teams that we played against you know, we got a chance to be 
Florida, Michigan State, two big teams who were ranked very high going into the NCAA tournament. And, you know, in the Big East tournament, Coach kind of he pulled me to the side. And, was, you know, this is something I'll never forget. Coach telling me, it's like, you know, we live in a microwave society. No one's going to remember what you've done, you know, in the regular season if you go out here and turn over and, you know, go out there and kill it. You know, they're only going to remember what you did last. And obviously that still holds true to this day. I mean, I went into the Big East tournament with just one thing in mind. I was just going to go out there and play hard, be more aggressive in the, in the attack mode. You know, I won the MVP of the Big East tournament, but our team won the whole thing. And I think that really gave us confidence going into the NCAA tournament and propelling us to what we, what we did. Right. And so then you guys turn around the next year. Got a large core of guys coming back. You got Montrez coming in. Shane's a year older. You got Luke Hancock. You guys are really primed and ready to make a run. What's the most important thing that you guys are preaching to each other, that coaches preaching to you guys during this year of 2012-2013 season? And it was just about just being humble and hungry at that point. Um, we knew we had a good team coming back. We knew we had a good group, core group of guys. You know, going back to year four, Kyle Kerr, Chris Smith, all those guys, you know, we still had Jared Swapshire, all those guys were like the veteran leaders that kind of like helped pave the way for the new guys coming in. Um, Luke Hancock was already a red shirt at the time, so he was finally eligible to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, Montrez, you know, the freshman coming in, who was young, but, you know, very gifted, athletic monster. You know, and everybody else was just a year older, you know, more experienced. We already felt like we had a, a good team the year before, but now we felt like we were a dominant team. Um, you know, I'm still had guys like Kevin Ware, uh, Gorgie Jane, CT was your order. We still had a lot of people coming back that, you know, we felt like this is our time. And, you know, the coaches preached just, you know, staying grounded and, you know, working just as hard. You know, we worked. I mean, as you know, Coach Reed didn't let up at all. I mean, there was no days where we didn't just come in there and walk around. If we did, he was kicking us out and the next man had to step up. So, it was definitely a fun year, uh, definitely a great year that we put in on the court and uh, never forget it. Back-to-back Big East champs, two-time Big East tournament MVP, only second person to do that behind Patrick Ewan. What was tough about being a point guard on a national championship team that was so deep and so talented? What was the toughest part for you? The toughest part for me was just finding a way to get everybody involved at the point guard position just because as a point guard, you know, you're taught and preached to to get everybody involved. And the hardest thing for me was just kind of figuring out, all right, tonight we got to get Russ a couple of touches. We've got to feed the big man, Gorgie down low. You know, he's doing an amazing job on defense. So we got to, you know, reward him on offense, you know, just try to share the wealth, you know, at times just try to get Luke a good shot or Wayne a good shot. Um, knowing how to get good guys shots and when to take over, what times to take over. And I think that was a very difficult part, but I had a good group of guys who were very, who weren't like very selfish, you know, everybody was willing to know their roles and understand their role and do that to the best of their ability. You know, we had guys who can, you know, go off and try to score 30 a game. You know, Wayne Blackshear was a highly touted recruit. He could have easily, easily tried to go for 30 a game. Russ could have tried to go for 30 a game. Shane could have tried to, you know, demand the ball every time. Uh, Trez was a freshman, so he didn't really 
you know, try to demand the ball every time, but he was, you know, working his ass off. So for me, you know, it was very easy because I had those guys who were very unselfish and wanted to just play, share the ball, and uh, was truly happy off of everybody else's success. And I think that's what really made us work. When you hear most championship teams and you hear people talk from the teams that, you know, they're representing, I think the one thing that you hear is how everybody's sacrificed. And the main thing is sacrificing your ego for the bigger picture, the greater cause, putting the team first. And I think, you know, some people say that, but they don't necessarily play into it. But I think when you really believe it and you play into it, I think it shows. And I think that's what really brings a lot of team success, man. And so uh, you guys were national champs. And I tell you what, man, I was I was so happy, man. And I wish I could have been home to celebrate with you guys. But I was obviously overseas playing. But, man, just to see you guys finish something that we fell short of doing and for you guys to come through, man, and for the title to come back to the city of Louisville in, what, almost 30 years? Uh, man, it, it was special, man. And so that's something that you would never forget. I'll never forget going to the Final Four, but you guys going to the Final Four and winning the whole thing, man, it was definitely something special. And so after you win a national championship, you're preparing for the NBA draft. And so you get drafted by the Detroit Pistons, but you face a little bit of adversity during your time in the NBA. It seems like you were dealing with injuries a lot of the time. How were you able to deal with the adversity of, you know, kind of, having the injury bug in your tenure in the NBA? That's tough, man. It's, it's kind of weird, um, you know, having, like, the injury bug. Uh, I had, you know, I got drafted. I did well in summer league. And then I had tore both of my calf muscles in before the preseason even started. So that kind of put me behind the wheel going into the season. It was, it was pretty funny. So, I mean, it's not funny, but before we had a game against Orlando in the preseason, and I've been out all preseason. I haven't you know, been practicing. I've been doing just spot shooting, just trying to get back on the court. And so I missed the whole preseason. And all of our point guards get hurt. Brandon Jennings gets hurt. Will Bynum gets hurt. You know, Chauncey Billis was hurt that game. Uh, Rodney Stuckey had, got hurt. And the coach was like, I mean, if you want to try to play, you can. Or we'll bring another guard in. And I was like, no chance. I'm like, I wasn't on a guaranteed deal. Um, you know, still in the second round player deal and I tried to play that game. I played all 48 minutes and I didn't really play that well. Uh, I did solid, but I felt like that just kind of like put me behind and uh, could never really get my footing. And the NBA is a different monster. I mean, you only get limited amount of chances to try to prove yourself. And, right, you know, I, I wish I could have, you know, had that back. But I mean, you live and you learn. I learned a lot, you know. They kept me on the team for that whole year. Uh, I got a chance to really, you know, learn from some of the best with Chauncey Billups and Rodney and Brian Jennings and all them. I got to learn a lot, try to get healthy, you know, did well. You know, in a couple games towards the end of this year when they had a coaching change, finally got a chance to play and, you know, finish off the year well. The management really liked me. You know, were looking forward to bringing me back. But they had a change in management, got hurt in summer league. And, you know, Van Gundy felt like he wanted to go a different way. So uh, that was tough for me. But, I mean, it's part of the business. Like I said, you live and you learn. And it's one of those things you have to deal with. And, you know, I don't, I'm not mad or anything about it, but it was just one of those things that was very tough that I had to learn as a pro quickly. 
So it's just one of those things I have in my back pocket to kind of tell the next generation or the next group of players who are, you know, going to the NBA, who reached out to talk to me, just little things I learned with that. Right. Now, who was your vet when you was in the, when you was with the Pistons? I had a couple. <laughs> like the, my main one was probably Rodney Stuckey and Chauncey Billups. Those are, and Charlie Villanueva. Those were the guys that kind of, you know, were my key vets that I even worked out with or trained with. And then, you know, I had the older guys like Josh Smith from Smooth, who I'm really cool with now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of those guys. But I would say those main four are the, like my key vets. But I, the ones I had to do stuff for was mostly Stucky or Chauncey. Right. So things didn't work out with the Pistons. You go overseas and you start playing and you have a, a wonderful career. Things are going well. And now you've been in Alba for a few years now. It really seems like you found your footing and the people of Germany and the city of Berlin really love you. How has it been for you to make the adjustment from NBA style to European style? And what are some differences for you? I would say that the European style is more of a, a college style per se. Right. You know, it's it's more focused around defense. You know, you can pack the pain on you. You know, it's less isolation ball per se. It's more team oriented where, you know, teams in Europe want to run sets. And, but it's a higher skill, you know, very high skill. You know, in the NBA, like it's more isolation plays. You know, you have one, two sets that are like quick hitters that you're trying to get your main guy the ball. And uh, it was first, it was it was cool for me to adjust because I was coming from, you know, NBA, G League, and I was coming in there with a lot of confidence, and I felt like I played well. Um, now I'm with Alba for the last four years. I kind of found my, you know, groove and found what I can do and what I can't do and just trying to find a role. I mean, as you, you know, there's anybody, you find a role with the team whether you're a shooter or you're a guard, you kind of label yourself as that. So it helps you in the future down the line when teams need somebody like, okay, well, he's the best at doing this. And I feel like with Alba, I had a great, have, I have a great coach with Coach Aito. He's a Spanish coach that just, you know, likes to play free movement basketball and it uh, helped my game out because I learned a lot of different things. You know, I learned a lot of offensive sets, how to play without the ball, how to move without the ball. It kind of made the game fun and interesting again it wasn't just like very robotic like you run this set you run this set you run this set now it was a lot of free moving passing high post cut okay bash screen here and move without the ball and it made my the game of basketball fun again for me i would say coming over to europe and playing in that style of basketball uh, it was kind of a, a cool transition for me right now you play in the euro league and so you guys travel during the week, you might travel to Spain, you might travel to France, you might travel to Italy. So you've been all over the continent of Europe playing. What have been some of your favorite stops? Have you had a chance to explore any places when you're, you know, when you have downtime and you're not playing? I haven't got a chance to kind of like explore, really, but I got a chance. Like some of my favorite spots, and I kind of base it off of crowds and stadiums and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lithuania, we played Zagreus, amazing crowd. And we went to Greece, that was fun. Uh, you know, you always hear stories about those crowds and they're as crazy as they come. Then I would say 
I mean, you enjoy the places like one of my favorite spots that I've actually been to that I got the chance to go out in was probably Malaga in Spain. Beautiful. Uh, very, very nice city. Beautiful. Uh, the beaches are really nice. Great weather. Very touristy. You know, a lot of things you can do with your family uh, there in Valencia. So two Spain spots was really nice. Got a chance to travel there with my family who was there for the Euro Cup finals and just got a chance to go around the city. Uh, took my family to the zoo there and the aquarium was beautiful, really nice. You know, they just have great weather year-round. So those are coming, some of the places that I really enjoyed and really liked. Great. Now, you've had a chance to play against Coach Patino on the professional side in Europe. How was that experience? No, no, no. No, you haven't? I didn't. Oh, we, okay. Literally, we were, get, we were getting ready to play against them the next week, but then the COVID crisis hit and – we were planned on meeting and having dinner and we were getting ready to play them and they uh, shut it down and canceled it. So I was definitely, you know, hurt because uh, I really wanted to get a chance to get to play them, especially uh, against a historic team like Pantanacos. And, uh, you know, I saw all the other former Louisville players get a chance to play them, you know, Kyle and Earl and everybody. I was like, all right, I finally get a chance to be on the other side of it. Let's, right. You no, know, I, couldn't, I couldn't wait to, you know, see him on the sideline and hear what he was saying again just to kind of you know feel that nostalgia of, you know right have a good know, laugh yeah, about I, it I, <laughs> yeah like I know what he's saying to you guys right now man and uh so I was a little sad that I get a chance to play him but um but I'm happy that he's you know coaching on him now now have you had a chance to play against any other former cards while you were over there yeah we played against Kyle this year I played against Earl Clark in the summer I played against Wayne couple years ago played against Preston a couple years ago in okay, okay. Uh, so, so yeah I got to play against a couple cards I uh, played against Russ and, uh, you know when he was at Dallas High School, I got a chance to you know see a couple of my guys and play against their teams and uh, it's cool man it's, it's cool to, you know, it's a small world I would say that especially the basketball world it's very small you start playing against guys that you, you played against or played with and uh, it's kind of come full circle Facts, and you already know the scouting report on everybody. You like you get to playing against each yeah. other so many times and so many years. You be like, okay, so I know, I know what I got to do with this guy. I can't let him shoot, or I got to make him drive, or it's like you said, it's just a small world, man. And so now, Peyton, we've reached a part of the podcast that we like to call the Burr Proof segment. And if you know anything about bourbon, you know that Burr Proof bourbon is one of the strongest bourbons on the market. Comes straight out of the burrow when you sip it, gives you a little warming sensation. And so that's what we want to do right now. We want to put you on a hot seat, give you some rapid fire questions. We don't want you to give it a lot of thought. Just give us your first answer and we're going to roll with it. We're going to have a little fun with it. All right. All right. Cool. Now, are you a texter or a talker? Text. Facts. Yeah, I'm a text to talk on a necessary basis. Who's more popular in Louisville, you or your dad? My dad. Facts. <laughs> <laughs> what is your biggest fear? Not being able to provide for my family. Yeah, I think that's any any man that has something about himself. Who are you taking? Isaiah Thomas of the Detroit Pistons or Tony Parker? Oh, Isaiah. More. Mm. Yeah, that's a tough one. I'll, I'll probably go with Isaiah too, and that, that's tough though. The most assist- yeah, I mean, I, trust me, I love Tony Parker. <laughs> but, I mean, Isaiah was just a, a whole other monster. Yeah, back he, he was a monster. Detroit man. days, the twenty-five and one quarter on one ankle, man. That's 
Yeah. It's hard to top that. The most assists you've had in a game? Uh, 17. Nice. If you were a wrestler, what would your stage name be? Oh. <laughs> that was a wrestler. Uh, I don't know. Something like uh, the Flying Samoan or something like that. The Flying Samoan. <laughs> the Rock the, the Rock Jr., you know, we have similar build. Yeah, similar build. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> Oh, okay. uh, I tell my wife all the time, you know, if I was to have somebody play me, he would be it. You know, he looks just like me, and we built kind of the same. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Which move are you taking above the <laughs> above the rim, or he got game? For me, he got game. I'm rolling with you. He got game. Your childhood celebrity crush, Alicia Keys, to this day. Mm, Alicia Keys, yeah, she's nice. She's real nice. Toughest guy you've ever had to guard. Toughest guy I've ever had to guard. Drew Holiday. Yeah. Yeah, Drew's nice. Drew is he nice. He just, he was, you know, so my, my when I got to play in the NBA, when I did get to play in the game, mm-hmm. we played against him. And I was like, all right, I'm going to pick him up full court. He literally turned his back to me and backed me down all the way to the free throw line, hit like a little hezzy and hit the mid-range jumper. I was like, all right, yeah, this is, this is another level. <laughs> like, all right, you know, I'm young. Right. And he just he just turned he just turned his back to me. Didn't under control the whole way. Didn't feel any pressure. Just took his time and got right to the worst spot. Made the mid range jump. And I was like, "Yep, all right, done with that." <laughs> right. Give me your best yeah. Patino impersonation. <laughs> I always tell Van Treese, this is my favorite story ever from Patino. One day, he, Van Treese was running back down court and messed up. And Coach Patino was like, son, if you don't change that stupid look on your face, I'm sending you home. Ventries <laughs> looked at him and was like, well, Coach, this is the way I look. <laughs> I, I cried. I cried laughing on the bench the whole time. Oh, man. It's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Like, And Coach Patino has a bunch of one-liners, but that by far was the funniest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, man. It's always funny as long as you're not in it. That is a fact. <laughs> P. I appreciate you taking time out of your day, man, to come through and bless the podcast, brother. You and your family stay safe, man. You guys take care and uh, hope to see you soon one day when we come out of this, man. Yeah, thank you. Peyton embodies everything that you want from a basketball player on your team. He's a great leader. He's a great teammate. He's a hard worker. He's coachable, has a great attitude, very selfless, puts the team before himself, and he's a winner. And you can go on and on about the attributes that he has, and that's why he was one of my favorite players to watch play in a Cardinal uniform. And I still love to watch him play to this day for his team in Europe, Alba Berlin in Germany, because he plays the game the right way and how it's supposed to be played, and he plays for his teammates. Now I've worked out with Peyton and hung out with Peyton a lot of times, and he's an even better person, uh, fun to be around, a joy to talk to, always upbeat and positive, and always has a smile on his face. Now he still has a lot left in the tank, so I'm looking forward to watching him play out the rest of his basketball career and seeing how the new normal is going to be whenever everything picks back up. Now, it was awesome to have him on the podcast and really appreciate him coming through and taking time out of his day to really come and talk to us about his career as a Louisville Cardinal and as a professional basketball player. Now let's get into the review and bourbon side of the podcast so I can give you guys my thoughts on this Larceny bourbon. Now after warming up my gentleman's drink, it was really light on the nose, didn't have a strong aroma, 
came off with a pretty light scent that gave off a sweet fragrance. You know, your typical, your vanillas, your caramels, but couldn't really pick up too much after that just because of the lightness of the scent. Now to the sip, it had a really good energy, very lively, probably more so from the alcohol than from the spice. Had a medium texture, not thin, not full. Had a sweet taste to it, pretty good, but it's a bit different. Had some vanillas in there, but it was blended with some other sweet flavors that I really couldn't put a label on. Had this sort of orange citrus flavor in there with a little bit of spice in the back. Uh, didn't have much heat and transition at all. And that's probably due to the extra wheat that's in the mash bill. The aftertaste was sweet with a little bit of a walnut flavor. Didn't last too long, but lasted just enough time. Really a solid pour for a weeded bourbon, especially one that's in the $25 to $30 price point. Uh, be sure to try it out if you're out looking for economic bourbon and definitely one with a sweet taste. Now make sure you guys tune in next Wednesday. We'll be joined by another special guest on the podcast. Continue to follow us on Twitter at the PPU Podcast and on Instagram at the Players Perspective Podcast. Tag us in your bourbon bars. Continue to send us your bourbon recommendation. The podcast is growing because of you guys. We can't say thank you enough. And that'll do it for this episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. And that is the Players Perspective. Perspective.